Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Zach Forrest. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. You're you're very welcome, Zach. So I'm um, really looking forward, man, to uh, digging into your story. Uh, before we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of your upbringing and your story, I've got a few, uh, I like to call them conversational starter questions. So we're just going to work our way through that. That. And then we'll kind of get into your your backstory. So the first question, Zach, is how do you start your day? Do you have any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most mornings? Yeah, um, most mornings. It's interesting because my morning routine kind of just changed because we we moved from Las Vegas to Kansas City to Overland Park. And the move disrupted my, my daily routine tremendously, as you can imagine. So... Um, Coming out here to to Overland Park, I had to revamp my morning routine. And currently, what it is, uh, wake up around five forty five so I can get downstairs, feed the dogs, um, and check a, a quick email or two before getting a pre workout shaken, uh, mainly creatine, a little bit of carbohydrate before going to a six thirty a.m. CrossFit class over at Overland Park CrossFit, and then I come home, I, I clean up the kitchen a little bit. Cause usually I have dishes left over. It's usually just like 30 minutes of like house cleaning stuff. And then it's email checking and, and getting the communications out of the way for the day before I actually sit down for work. And when I sit down for work, it's usually at like a coffee shop somewhere nearby. Um, yeah, so it's not, nothing too, uh, too meta right now. It, 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 it will eventually evolve to something a little bit more along the lines of like maybe a quick dunk in an ice bath. Once I get that set up out here, something to wake myself up uh, a little bit more, um, some daily stretching. All those things are things that I was doing in Vegas that have not transitioned out here yet. But for now, that's my routine. Okay. Now, yeah. um, I want to kind of ask you, Zach, then I know you kind of you're in this transitional period, but if there were like one or two key components of a morning routine for you, like an ideal morning routine, what, what would those two things be? If there's more than more than two, feel free to share, but I just kind of want to see where your mindset is in terms of like, these are kind of vital for me to kickstart my day, so to speak. If, if I can have that in my morning routine. Uh, definitely some sort of reading uh, that is not work related. Uh, so for a while I was sending a timer after I, uh, came downstairs, fed the dogs and all that stuff. I, I set a timer for 10 minutes and it's a minimum of 10 minutes every morning of non-work related reading, whether that's some cool piece of fiction that I'm reading or, uh, directly related to like self development or, uh, it, the, the topic varies, but I don't want it to be related to anything that my, my few jobs have to be uh, revolving around. And then the other thing would be some sort of physical activity, whether it's a brisk walk, a, a, a quick workout or a stretch session. Those two things are pretty much non-negotiables. And ideally the, the physical activities outside, um, in the morning sunlight. So those two things would probably be my like non-negotiables once I get my routine a little bit more set. Yep. Love that. Okay. Um, why don't you give us, and this is a great segue, uh, you, you mentioned reading is kind of a non-negotiable with your morning routine. 
uh, non-work related specifically. So the next question for you, Zach, is uh, do you have a favorite book? And if there's, again, more than one, go ahead and share. A favorite book? Um, and man, it's so hard. I haven't read a decent piece of fiction in a long time. For, for the majority of my adult life, a my reading has revolved around professional development or um, skill-related books, books that I'm, I'm reading to acquire or learn about a skill. Uh, but, I mean, one of the few series, the Dark Tower series from Stephen King was a phenomenal read, and I finished that probably close to a decade ago, and that's a series that I wouldn't mind revisiting now as I, as I sit down and get into my routine. But then there was another... And this is gonna this is gonna bother me until I go get the books off the shelf. Or actually, no, they're packed up in a box. Um, it was it was a series by Rothfuss uh, with the main character. His name was I can't even say the name. It's K V O T H E. It's about this guy. It's it's kind of like fantasy um, along the same lines as the Dark Tower series. But the name in the wind was the first series or the first book in the series. And I read three books in that series and it was pretty awesome both of those series one of my good friends sean turned me on to and so when i need a good piece of fiction i usually go to him and, and get his recommendations he's way more well read than i am but those are probably my favorite favorite types of reads okay. uh recently yeah now you said that you you do a lot of reading in terms of like uh, you know personal development or self help, however you want to word that. Are there a, a couple of go tos from that kind of a section of reading that you've read over the years that you don't mind sharing? Oh, I mean, those I can rattle off. I mean, and here's the thing: these are books that you probably see on a lot of other lists, like oh, top self help books or productivity books and stuff. Things like um, if you're a business owner, E Myth. And Emith Mastery, uh, th that was a phenomenal uh, paradigm shift for me after I read that. Uh, something more recent, Atomic Habits. Uh, there's a book out there by a, uh, a business group, and it's called Scaling Up. That was pretty good. If you're into uh, finance, the, the, the small business uh, side of finance, then Management or Managing by the Numbers is a phenomenal read for anybody that struggles with um, developing clarity on the financial picture of your business. Uh, and what did I read most recently? Oh, this was kind of an interesting, I, I usually don't read anything about taxes. I just work with a CPA, but um, Tax-Free Wealth was a book that I just finished that I thought was, uh, it, it, was a, it was a little bit over the top in the sense that it was redundant in some sections, but it was very simple, easy to read, and gave me a lot of insight into how to leverage the the tax system as a business owner or an investor um, for your own benefit. Now, these things are like dry reads, obviously, and and some of them can even be looked at as like a reference book. There, oh, another one that I thought was phenomenal was Atomic Habits, and you see that touted everywhere. That was definitely, um, that's probably my top five of like, I think everybody should probably read that book. Yeah. Cool. But um, but yeah, nothing super fun to read about. But I, I find them extremely interesting. Yeah, I, I love that, and and I'm I'm excited because I actually own a a a, a gym uh, myself, and I'm really fascinated by kind of the entrepreneurship side of things and business. And we're going to get into that obviously with you, but 
Um, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this that are also, you know, kind of have that entrepreneurial spirit or, you know, business owners, whether that's online or brick and mortar. So uh, that, that sounds like some great reads. Now, uh, the next question uh, in terms of the kind of the conversational starters here, Zach, what life, what life lesson have you been taught or have you learned in the last year? If it's two years, three years, that's fine. But just uh, kind of in the recent history, so to speak. Oof. Um, life lesson recently. That's a hard one. I've, I think for me personally, <laughs> it's hard to realize when something is a life lesson until it's been a few years, to be honest. Right. So I'm, I'm trying to recount something. A good, a good life lesson that I've learned would probably have to come from my wife in the sense of stepping back and, and looking at things. Um, I actually don't know how to explain it. I, I could give you an example of what I do. I, I am sometimes not aware of what my voice and body language is when I'm having natural conversation. And I think uh, Caitlin, my wife has, has helped me identify uh, a, a lot of times when I when I am not aware of the the voice inflection, the intonation, uh, the pitch, the the body language that I have when communicating with other people, and not just her. Like I think a lot of people will hear this and be like, "Oh, that means it's you working on the way that you communicate with your wife." And it's like, no, no. She she will pull me aside and be like, "Hey, did you realize how you how you came off on that?" And like, did you see the guy and the guy react to it? And I'm like, "Oh, you know what? That's." That's actually a, a great point. I hadn't considered that. Um, it, so the life lesson is just to be always be aware and always be taking stock of how you come across to other people and making sure that it's in alignment with your intention. Not that you should be political about it. Not that you should be trying to change the way that you uh, talk to someone for a certain outcome, but just to be aware of it, just to have that perspective. Yeah, I think that's the life lesson. Mm. Okay, now I want to I want to dig a little bit deeper because this is fascinating. Now, uh, this is something, and 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 I want to see if this is kind of uh, in the direction that you're kind of talking about. So, uh, in the past, I was a, a a physical education teacher just in a like a charter school out in Colorado. Okay, and I realized like, and at this time it was like elementary aged uh, kids, so very young, and you know like the body language is is very important. I think even more so when you're working with younger youth because they're 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 so impressionable right so i would catch myself like crossing my arms and that just kind of portrays a certain uh you know uh energy or it kind of speaks something right uh in terms of when you cross your arms maybe you're mad or you're super serious or something like that so i i stopped doing that because i didn't want to portray that to these younger kids now is that kind of something in the direction that you're talking about, Zach, or are you talking about maybe something a little bit different? No, I mean, that's absolutely in in the same vein, in the same direction. Body language is, what is what was that? Some silly statistic that I read, like 80% or some 70% of all communication is nonverbal. The way you stand, the facial expressions, right? Um, yeah, what you're doing with your hands, all those things come to, into play with communication in the moment. And I think as a physical education teacher or as like a coach in a gym, you're very aware of how you say, how you touch someone, like if you're doing a tactile cue or how you demonstrate so that they can get, so that they can perform a specific action or have a certain understanding, right? 
And communicating to teach is a very specific style of communication. And it's not always uh, like I, I think I, I'm, I'm pretty good at communicating with people when I want to teach them something. But I'm not good at communicating when I am trying to express a frustration or when I am trying to uh, learn myself, when I'm trying to understand, um, asking questions. I'm not as good of a communicator when I'm trying to empathize. So I think the, the, the style, the, the tools that we use to communicate are all the same, but how we deploy them in a given scenario is going to be what's different. And I think that's where I can learn, uh, the best is learning the, take the tools that I, that I deploy really well as a coach when I'm trying to teach. And now how do I deploy those differently or more effectively when I'm trying to learn myself or when I'm trying to understand something or when I'm trying to, you know, insert situation here. So, but yeah, all those things are in the same vein. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. Okay. Last one here. And then we're going to get kind of into your, your backstory a little bit deeper. Do you have a favorite quote, mantra or word? Uh, it's interesting, like mantra, like something that you repeat over to yourself. Um, it's not really a mantra, like it's not a specific sentence. It's just kind of like a perspective. Uh, don't play the victim hmm. okay. is what I, what I is, is kind of like the feeling or the, um, perspective that I try to maintain at all t- points, um, through my life. And, and like, if you're doing a, tar- a hard workout, don't feel sorry for yourself. You're doing it for you. Like the point of the workout is to be hard. Like if you're uncomfortable with something, don't feel sorry for yourself for being in a situation that you're uncomfortable with. If you are going through a financial hardship, don't blame other people. Like you are solely responsible for the outcomes in your life. Like there are always scenarios where, you know, the outcomes are influenced by external objects or external forces, but it's like, there's no use in being upset over those things. Now you can be upset with yourself when, you know, something didn't go the way that you wanted to. And it was, it was your fault. Um, and you didn't live up to your own expectations, but I, I have a hard time, um, accepting that my, my, my circumstances are being, uh, dictated by external forces. Yeah. Cool. Love that. Okay. We're going to transition into a little bit of your uh, your childhood and your upbringing, Zach. So um, Ooh, I want to talk okay. a little bit about like where you actually grew up, uh, and then why don't you talk a little bit from you know your younger years up to about high school? Just you know talk about did you play sports? Uh, you know, parents, siblings. What were you like in school? Like just kind of paint that picture for us of Zach Forrest when you were uh, a, a, a youngster up to a teenager. And then kind of stop like in those high school years because I want to transition from there. Okay. All right. Cool. So, yeah, my family moved. I was born in Florida. I was born in Orlando, Florida, but I did not grow up there. When I was about five years old, uh, family moved from Florida, which is where all my extended family, my grandparents, my aunts, uncles, cousins, they're all like the family was from Florida. And then about five years old, family, my parents, me and my younger brother, who I think I guess would have been around one years old, we all moved to New Hampshire, right up the East Coast into New England. And uh, that's where I grew up. So 
up there, it was just me, mom, dad, my younger brother, Jacob. Um, and we settled in the heart of the Mount Washington Valley in a little town, 2000 people, uh, Bartlett, New Hampshire. And so uh, it was a very homogenous town, meaning there, there was not a lot of ethnic uh, diversity. There was not a lot of uh, social diversity, but it, it was still, um, and obviously at, at five, six years old, even like kid and teenager, that's really like unbeknownst to me nowadays, this is before the internet. So it's like, you couldn't really experience the world through the internet. Um, so I didn't know what diversity meant really, but, um, growing up, I do remember it was a town that was relatively safe in the sense that the, the school that I went to was a, the elementary school that I went to was a mile down the road, you know, at about eight years old, I want to say eight, nine years old, I was just riding my bike to and from school. Um, you know, this is something where it's like in the middle of the summer, you would go out with all your friends in the town and play, we called it manhunt, which was just, you know, hide and seek but manhunt sounded so much cooler, but hide and seek until like, you know, 10, 10 30 at night. Um, and you know, the town was our, our arena. And so it was, it was very much like, Hey, just be back by this time. There's nothing that's too bad. That's going to happen. Crime wasn't a thing really that I was aware of. Drugs weren't a real big thing. Homelessness wasn't a real big thing. It was just, you know, it was a nice small town. Um, growing up, I played every sport that I could. Uh, I, I was very much into athletics and games. I very much enjoyed that. I, I don't think I was particularly good at any one of them. <laughs> Although I tried to be, I was never the best at any sport, but I was never bad at any of them. So if I like, what did I play in, in the fall growing up? It was soccer and football, depending on the, the age, um, and uh, in the winter, we didn't have, I wish we had wrestling, but we didn't, we had basketball and skiing. So at my school, it was, it was kind of cool because we had a ski program that I think everybody participated in every Thursday, uh, school ended like right around 10, 10 in the morning. And we would just head to the mountain and ski for the rest of the day. So it was, it was a really, really cool growing up skiing. And I didn't realize how lucky we were to get that opportunity. Um, so in the winter it was skiing and basketball and it was downhill skiing. I eventually got into racing and then freestyle, but again, I was never any good, um, basketball, you know, I stopped growing in right before high school. I feel like at five, seven, so I'm kind of, you know, kind of stuck at the point guard position <laughs> and, and never really developed past that. Uh, spring was baseball and lacrosse. Um, and lacrosse was definitely my favorite sport that I played, but again, I was never the number one player on any of the teams, but I was always like, you know, if I wasn't number two, I was probably number three. So I was always good at all of them, but never the best at any of them. Um, and that was my athletic career. I really wanted to be a, a top level basketball player or career. I say career, um, top level basketball player or lacrosse player, but physically, you know, like I'm five, seven and right now I'm 180 pounds and that's after training with weights for you know, two decades and, and focusing on my nutrition, I'm not a very big person. Um, and the sports that I wanted to play, you know, size is an advantage. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I grew up. I was never really good in, uh, academics. I hated homework. So that was never really like, you know, I didn't have like a scholarship idea going for me or anything like that. But, um, after growing up in New Hampshire, I think, uh, I think it was around 
14, 15 years old. One of my, uh, my best friends, his name was Josh. He had the bright idea to, to, uh, enlist in the Navy and, and become a seal. And I was like, you know what, that sounds like a great idea. College isn't really a huge prospect for me. And, um, this sounds fun. So after high school, that's kind of, that was the plan. Yeah. Okay. Now, before we transition to that, I want to ask you if you don't mind, uh, what was the reasoning for your parents picking up and moving from Florida up to New Hampshire? Cause that's kind of a, I guess a unique move from my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I remember asking mom at one time, why? And I can't remember the answer. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it was, it was different. I think it had something to do with proximity to the family. I think they didn't want um, the rest of my family having as big of an influence on our upbringing. Uh, I think they wanted more freedom. I think they wanted to explore. My parents did. I think they wanted to grow outside of the, the bubble that Florida had kept them in, uh, maybe both socially and, uh, fiscally i don't know i'm not exactly sure my parents around i'm not i'm not again i'm not sure how old i was when they started owning their own businesses but they they were working normal jobs up until i want to say maybe i was 10 or 12 when they bought their own business and opened it um because i think they acquired a bakery yeah they didn't they didn't start from scratch they bought it and then they built it up and then uh, they turned around, sold it, and and then they kept doing that. Basically, that's what, and that was, that was their mo. That was their, um, you know, their their procedure for for creating wealth. I think. Mm -hmm. So I'm not exactly sure if that those are the reasons why they moved to New Hampshire, but that's what I would have to guess. Okay. Yeah. Now, I'm very um, grateful that they did move us. Yeah. Like growing up in Florida would have been a completely different experience for me. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. I, I think that's uh, awesome because I, I tell people all the time, it's, I think it's really important if, if you want to come back to your hometown or your home state, that's great. But man, at least for college or some amount of time after high school, like go out and explore the world, like realize, because I grew up in a small town of less than 5,000 people in, in Iowa. And just like you, uh, diversity is not a thing. Uh everybody basically believes the same things in terms of like religion and politics. And it's just, everybody's kind of the same. It's like the world's so big, right, Zach? And there's so much growth when you step outside of what's known in, in, in life as, as a human. So that's cool. Now, before we transition to post high school, I want to kind of ask you, was there outside of maybe your parents, were there any coaches, were there any teachers, were there any adults in your life that you feel like looking back now as an adult yourself, had a profound impact on you or a really positive influence on you as a, as a youth? Yeah, absolutely. I remember my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Fish, uh, she had uh, a profound impact on me. So it, it, the more, the more I think about it, the more I realize, even though the town was, I use the word homogenous, meaning there weren't a lot, there wasn't a lot of ethnic diversity. There were a lot of, again, unbeknownst to me, social diversity. It just wasn't out in the open. It wasn't, it wasn't put in front of me. My parents are, uh, what I would consider a moderate, uh, of political leaning. They're fiscally conservative, socially pretty liberal. Um, but I do remember not knowing that the, not understanding, uh, 
homosexuality being a bad thing, even though it was, it was, it was obviously it's like prevalent wherever you go for the most part, uh, I think, um, whether or not it's like put in front of you and, and, you know, labeled as such is the other thing. Like it's not shoved in front of you, uh, in certain areas. And I think looking back, I had a large amount, a large constituency of, uh, gay teachers growing up. And I think their ability to, and, and they wouldn't shove it in your face. Like I had no idea what gay was until I was an older, uh, human, <laughs> really an adult. And, I think their ability to uh, just be normal humans actually or, or normal people as opposed to flaunt it and, and, and again, put it out in front of you. Just, it was just something that was. So I think, and, and I remember a few of my teachers um, in, and I didn't learn until after the fact that I was like, oh man, she was gay or he was gay or whatever. And it just gave me a, a huge amount of respect for them because they were able to uh, be who they wanted to be without, you know, without influencing the way that I was learning for the most part in, in my perspective. But I do remember one of my, my lacrosse coaches and one of my elementary school teachers uh, they w had profound impacts on me because they wanted, they were just as happy when I succeeded as I was. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the the coolest thing is like having these adults that weren't your parents care about your success and not even care about your success, like either on the field or in the school, but care about your, um, your passion for whatever it is that you're doing. That's what was so um prominent for me in my memories it's like mrs fish i at one point i i was into doing the school plays like being on uh the stage and and and, and acting and for a little while singing and all that stuff it's kind of kind of odd now that i think about it but whatever <laughs> it's nothing that i would get into now but at that point in time i was like cool let's let's give this a go and she was just so supportive and so um passionate about it herself that I, it just had a huge impact on me. Um, and the same thing with, uh, coach Tangway for lacrosse. He was just so into making sure that people were good sportsmen, um, good players, good sportsmen, like behavior and, and that they, we were having not necessarily having fun, but that we were playing with integrity and that we were living up to the values that we created for ourselves. Uh, and, and those, are probably uh, the characteristics of people that I uh, try to emulate and try to bring when I coach and teach. And I think that's uh, indicative of their impact on me. Yeah. Cool. Love that. Okay. Now you mentioned uh, a buddy of yours, I think when you were a teenager brought the, the Navy SEAL thing kind of to the forefront to you. Now, before he kind of brought that to your forefront or, or uh, you know, mention it to you, did you have any thoughts about the military? Did you know anything about the military, any family, relatives in the military? Like, talk about that. And then once you finish up with high school, why don't you just start unpacking uh, how uh, life unfolded for you, Zach? Yeah. So, I mean, Josh, my my best friend, had this idea. We were... 14, I want to say he was like, you know what? I think I'm going to, I'm going to go be a Navy SEAL when I, when I'm done with high school. And I'm like, okay, cool. So my grandfather was uh, in the Navy, World War II veteran. And I, I knew about 
you know, Navy SEALs, like what they were. I saw, I saw the rock. I saw the movie, the rock, you know, I saw the movie Navy SEALs. I seen Charlie Sheen do it. I was like, okay, that cool. That looks kind of cool. That looks fun. Um, but it, it kind of solidified when Josh and I started playing paintball and we, we didn't play paintball, like speed league paintball. Like you see them get behind the inflatables. It was like, we went out to the woods and we like practiced and, and stalked each other. It was like capture the flag in the woods with paintball guns. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is kind of fun. Um, and it's military esque, uh, kind of, kind of way. And the more I researched, the more I understood about, you know, what it took to be a, a seal and the more it interested me and the, the less interested I became in other options. So my family moved to Las Vegas when I was a junior in high school. Uh, and I did not follow them. They, I didn't want to switch high school. So I ended up living with Josh, uh, and his family for the, for, for my junior year in high school. And that entire year, it was like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to, once we graduate, we're going to go enlist and we're going to go to buds together and we're going to go be seals together. Cool. Um, so come junior year finishes up and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to uh, Las Vegas now and I'll see you later. I'll meet you in, in Chicago at boot camp Cause I think it's right outside Chicago. Um, and what ended up happening was I enlisted early so I got to Vegas, didn't need to do a fourth year of high school and because their requirements for graduation are different. It was weird. I got out there. They're like, you can technically just graduate. So just do it. I was like, okay, yeah, I don't want to go to school. I did a couple courses at their local community college uh, to pass some time, realized, yeah, this is definitely something I don't want to do. So I enlisted early. Uh, I was, what was it, 17 years old? It was right before my 18th birthday, I think. Had to get mom and dad to sign a waiver. Um and enlisted from Las Vegas, like within six months of being out there. Okay. Yeah. And that was, that was me transitioning to a, a real quick wake up call. <laughs> yeah. So, so just continue moving in that direction. Cause I talk about boot camp, talk about that experience. And then I want you to walk us through a little bit of uh, kind of like how you uh, got into the seals in terms of what, what does that look like at least, I, I, from my understanding, maybe things have changed a little bit, but for you, what did that look like, Zach? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, going from a town of 2000 people and only knowing about the military, what you see on TV or what you read. Um, I mean, the internet was brand new at this point. And like, what year was this? 2002. It was right after the nine 11 attacks. The internet was still, you know, growing. Um, and, and, so going from that and then directly into experiencing it as a as a as a very young man uh, was eye opening. It was one of those things where I had to learn very quickly that there there's nobody that's going to help you through this stuff. I I learned very quickly that while the military kind of shelters you from certain things, it expects you to learn relatively quick um, and. I'm not a, I'm not a dumb, I'm not, a, I don't consider myself too slow. I don't consider myself, you know, hyper intelligent or anything like that, but I, uh, was definitely able to pick up their standards of, of work and, uh, living relatively quick, like what their expectations were to be successful in the military and, and what is needed, what type of intelligence is needed 
But I will say this, the hardest thing for me was overcoming authority uh, in the military. I was very, um, I like to voice my opinion, <laughs> I guess is the best way to say it. And th there are many instances in the, in that scenario or in those, um, those circles where <laughs> your opinion really does not matter at all. Your opinion doesn't matter at all until you've been in the military for a good solid five or six years. And even then it's still not very important. And I had to learn that, uh, I had to learn that the, that the hard way. So boot camp was, I knew what boot camp was going to be growing in. I'm like, okay, they're going to break us down. They're going to make me do stupid stuff over and over and over. I'm going to learn the the basics of, of military uh, protocol and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, okay, cool. What was it like seven or eight weeks? Not a big deal. Not very hard. Um, going from boot camp to a school, which is where I learned communications, radio, satellite technologies back then, because um, I was going into the military as an IT rating. And so what they do is they put you through boot camp and then they put you through your job training if in case you don't make it through SEAL training. And so if you don't make it through SEAL training, you can go back to the regular Navy and do your job training. So for me, it was IT, which was communications and satellite and stuff like that, computer networking, yada, yada, yada. Um, that was like another 14 weeks. So at this point, I've been in the military for about 30 weeks, six months, half a year. Uh, and then I go to Bud's and Bud's going from Chicago to the Sandy beaches in San Diego, Coronado was phenomenal. Bud's was, I tell people Bud's was the best and worst time of my life. Yeah. Um, because you, for, for the six months of Bud's, you as a young single guy, you don't have to do anything, but focus on survival. Like, I don't have a family that I need to worry about. My parents are across the country. I don't have a girlfriend. I don't, I, all I had to do was wake up, do what I was told, put out, eat as much as I possibly could and sleep as much as I possibly could. And I don't, and just don't quit. So that's Buds. Buds is a six minute or six month endurance test of, do you want to do this or not? And in retrospect, being that young and that, and having no responsibilities outside of your day-to-day -day training was probably the easiest way to go through buds. I can't imagine going, there were guys that were close to 30. There was, there was one guy that I think that was like 34 years old or 33 years old going through buds. He has a full family, a wife with kids at home. And I'm just like, I can't imagine having all of that and also trying to make it through buds. Um, that's going to be physically and emotionally, mentally way tougher than the way that I went through. So, yeah, go, Buds for me was, I, I mean, physically, it's, it's going to be hard for everybody. But mentally, it was never that bad. It was just, hey, are you uncomfortable and can you put up with it? Hmm. Yeah. Now, I'm curious, and, and maybe some of the people that are listening to this, Zach, did, did that older gentleman with the family, did he actually make it through or not? Eventually, he did. Um, he, he, he was, I th when he was going through with me, it was, I, I want to say it was his third time going through Buds. He had been in the Navy for like eight years, I think, at that point. And I think he just kept getting rolled back either through because of injury, like his body was just breaking down. I think maybe the first time he quit or something like that um, during Hell Week. But we, we, I mean, we, that's the majority of people. But I just remember getting through it. He made it through, I think, the, the class after me. I think he got rolled, which is the term that you use when you get injured, but you don't get kicked out of training. 
because if you if you're working so hard and you break your leg or something like that they're not going to be like oh go back to the fleet you're done well they didn't back then they're like hey you're going to stay in the program you're going to go on limited duty you're going to heal up and then when you're ready you're going to roll into the class that's going so back into the same point that you were at training um and i think he had been rolled one or two times for injuries because his body at that age you just you can't handle buds without getting an injury like it's not going to happen um but i think i'm I'm 99 sure he made it through eventually yeah cool um okay now i don't want to i don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the military stuff just because you've you've lived a, a pretty pretty exciting life outside of the military but as you maybe have taken some time to reflect on your military career first of all how long were you in the military and then second of all uh how do you kind of sum up your military career? Cause I think different people have different perspectives of their career in the military. Yeah, absolutely. I think, so I was in for just over six years. It was six, six and a half, we'll say um, years. And I would sum up my military experience and my military career as um, pivotal is the word that I would use because it taught me and allowed for me to change, uh, in my opinion, from being a, a young man into a man. Uh, it gave me perspective on the world. It gave me perspective on, um, on work ethic. It gave me a perspective on, uh, different cultures and just, you know, it, it was just life experience that I think is, would be hard to replicate elsewhere. Um, being part of a high functioning team, uh, on a SEAL team is a blessing. And it's also a curse in the sense that I've compared every other team that I've been a part of to a SEAL team. And more often than not, the team will fall short, uh, because they are so good at working together. Um, it also taught me what an actual friend is. So when I say, when I say pivotal, I mean, it gave me a, a perspective shift on so many different aspects of my life that I know for a fact, I would not be the same person. Um, and I probably wouldn't like myself if I had never had that experience, which is kind of hard to say. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, um, I, I want to ask you this because, you know, there's all kinds of Navy SEAL, uh, books out there now, uh, movies <laughs> and Navy SEALs who are, you know, speakers in the podcast, like it's, it's kind of become this thing. Uh, now when I go to your social media, there's nothing about being a Navy SEAL. You, you know, a lot of the Navy SEALs have Navy SEAL in their, uh, bio on Instagram and stuff. Now, what, what is it, what is your perspective personally, Zach, in terms of why you don't have, you know, Navy SEAL in your bio on Instagram and kind of put all of that out there? Is it just kind of the way you are in terms of your mindset? Like, Talk about that. I'm not trying to have any, I'm not trying to say like any that's right or wrong. If you have that in your bio, I mean, you earned it. It's just right. like somebody having a, a, you know, a doctor degree in math or something, but right. you know, um, what does that say to you? Why you don't have that kind of out there for everybody to see? Because I didn't do it for them. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's, there's not, it, there's no reason that people need to know that part of my life. We, I was taught and I truly believe that there's something called uh, being the silent professional in the, in the special operations community. The, the work that we did in those jobs in that community is 
is privileged, meaning there are only so many people, there are very few people on the planet that can do that type of job, that can do that work. And those types of people have been uh, chosen, have been selected to do it, not because other people need to know that they can do it, but because the job needs to be done and there isn't anyone else. So it's not, it that career is not for anyone else's entertainment. It's for our country and it's for the, the, tasks that our government deem appropriate it's it i i don't i don't agree with profiting from a service job i i i went into that line of work because i truly believed i was one of the few people capable of doing it and doing it well and i think to to parade that around for profit is um unbecoming in my opinion i i i don't think i would ever uh, use my experience as a seal as a way to gain notoriety or fame or uh, financial gain other than you know if if my knowledge and experience can service other people so that's I I don't look down on other seals for doing that um, they chose to to develop a brand maybe that that is a huge part of cool um, but it's just not part of my value system or, or belief system. Yeah. Cool. Love that, man. Okay. Um, CrossFit, uh, when were you exposed to CrossFit and then walk us through kind of just like, I don't know your, your evolution, your experiences within CrossFit, you've been in the CrossFit games, uh, uh, CrossFit seminar staff. It seems to be a really huge part of your life, uh, yep. quite a few years. So why don't you just kind of start walking us through that evolution, Zach, please. Yeah. So I found CrossFit in, I want to say it was 2005. Um, and Dave Castro was actually, you know, Dave Castro, I'm assuming. Yeah. He was the guy who introduced it to me and he asked me to volunteer for a weekend course about fitness. And I was just like, come on, dude, I I'm like, I work out almost every day. Uh, I'm pretty fit. I don't need to know more about fitness. Like I'm good enough. And I can't imagine what my life would be like if I hadn't done that. It was basically a three-day level one course taught by Greg Glassman, Nicole Carroll, and Dave himself on uh, on CrossFit. And I had no idea what CrossFit was. Did some of the workouts, found out very quickly that uh, I was lacking in many different capacities that I thought I would excel at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and this is coming from, I mean, we were young and we were Navy SEALs. It's like, you think, oh, these guys are, are in shape. And I just remember being done with that course being like, oh man, I only knew the tip of the iceberg. And so that was my introduction in 2005. I continued to use CrossFit to develop for the job of being a SEAL. Like after that, that weekend, I was like, there's going to be very little that compares to being, to getting us ready for operations than, than CrossFit. So I dove headfirst in, um, I got out of the military in 2008 and I was still so uh, intrigued by CrossFit that, and, and not just the workouts, but the whole methodology about, um, how scientific it was and how everything was defined and everything was as objective as possible. Uh, and, and that's what, what interested me because very few other programs are like that. And so I started going on to the CrossFit.com website and just reading everything that I could about, 
CrossFit from the journal back in the, I don't even know if they still have the CrossFit journal anymore. And within, I'd say about three to four months, I'd consumed 90% of the articles in, in the CrossFit journal. And I, I have a, a unique ability to remember if I read something once I can remember 90%. My reading comprehension, I feel like is, is relatively high. So after reading that much information, it was very easy for me to go to a CrossFit class and just start spouting off like all this stuff that I could recall from memory, but didn't really understand how to apply in a coaching scenario. So when I first started coaching, helping uh, an affiliate owner in Las Vegas, Joe Marsh, coaching a CrossFit class at CrossFit Las Vegas, um, he was just running some classes in a, in a park. I, I realized, holy cow, all this information that's in my head isn't really helping these people like it should. So I need to learn how to coach. Um, so I, I, I really focused on getting better at coaching from about 2007, 2008 until about 2009 when we opened our first affiliate, like our first facility. Um, and that was the first CrossFit affiliate in Las Vegas, CrossFit Las Vegas. And it was a partnership between me and a gentleman named Joe Marsh. And uh, 2010 I is when I got on seminar staff. And that was, we hosted a level one. And I asked Dave, I was like, hey, what does it take to help you guys teach these things? And he's like, well, come intern. We'll see how you do. And so it was just, that was the process for me. Yeah. Okay. After the internships got put on. Yep. Okay. Now uh, uh, I know Dave Castro, he was also uh, in the, in the SEAL teams. Did your guys, yep. that, did your guys's paths ever cross while you were uh, in the military or just after the military? So no, in 2005, we were still in the Navy. He was my class proctor at uh, SQT, um, which is SEAL qualification training. So after BUDS, we have like a four month extended training um, to get your Trident, uh, the seal pin and it's, it's less intensive in buds. It's like, it's not punishment based. It's not like they, they treat you like an adult is what I'm going to say. It's actual like training. It's not a beat down session. And Dave was in charge of my uh, class of, I don't know if we had 30, 40, 40 guys going through the training. He was the senior uh, seal that was in charge of making sure we were at the right spot on time. We knew what we were doing. We were all prepped and briefed. Yeah. So he, that was my interaction with Dave in the military um, was from a, he was a senior enlisted guy to me trying to show me the ropes okay. and kind of like a mentor in, in a, in a certain sense. But uh, I, I'm sure he wasn't a willing mentor. <laughs> he was just like fucking figure it out, Zach. And I was like, okay. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Now um, let's, let's talk a little bit about competitive CrossFit. Um, I, I am not going to proclaim that I'm a CrossFit person or anything, but I've, watched enough of it and, you know, uh, observed it from afar to kind of, uh, understand a little bit. Right. So, uh, there's a big difference from my understanding of like, you know, competing, like, you know, at the regionals or like in the games, as opposed to like, you know, somebody that owns a box or, or a CrossFit gym and they're, they're just, you know, teaching the fitness of CrossFit or however you kind of word that. So, Oh, absolutely. The, the competitive side of CrossFit walk us through that because, uh, you've been in the CrossFit games and, and explain to those of us who really don't understand the difference between like a CrossFit high level athlete competitor and somebody that just wants to get healthier in a CrossFit box or a CrossFit gym. Like give us a little bit of clarity with that Zach too. Yeah. So the, the easiest way I can explain it is CrossFit as the competition is you are trying to 
to score the best through a given set of tasks. So if the task is laid out for you, like, hey, you need to lift this bar this many times, and you need to do this many burpees, and, and you need to run this far, and your score is how fast you can do it. I am, I am going to try to get through those tasks as efficiently and as quickly as I possibly can so that my score is better than anyone else's, right? Um, the, now, if I'm training in CrossFit, the goal is not the fast time. The goal is the adaptation. The goal is the stimulus. So I don't necessarily, I can use a time to gauge whether or not um, I'm making progress. But when I go to a gym and I'm working out, and I'm just trying to be healthy and fit. The goal is, am I dosing myself with enough intensity and the proper stimulus so that my body can make the changes that I want it to, to make. But when I'm on the competition floor, that change, I don't care about the stimulus. I want as little stimulus as possible. I just want to beat that person. Right. So the, the mindset is definitely should be different because what it does is when you are competing, in my opinion, it's ego-based. You're thinking, what can I do to beat that person? And how, how can I win, right? When I'm training, I'm, I'm thinking about what the workout's doing to my body at any given point in time. It's like, hey, how can I spend the next 15 minutes in this workout maximizing its impact on my systems? Mm-hmm. So that's that's my mindset when I approach you know, work out in the gym versus like, oh, now I'm on the competition floor and I'm trying to win. I never, I started CrossFit before it was a competition. Like we were always tracking points and scoring and all that stuff, but it was never like the purpose, right? It was just like, cool. Oh, you went faster than Brad. Cool. Nice job, Brad. Next time I'm going to try and go a little bit faster. It might end up being faster than you. I don't really care. Um, but I think some people started using their times and their scores and their weights in the gym as a, as a measuring stick for actual fitness. And I'm just like, yeah, I guess you could do that, but you guys are just exercising. Right. Like the best CrossFitter is the best exerciser. Are they the fittest person on the planet? Yeah. At the higher levels, they absolutely are. I would agree with that. Like Matt Frazier, Rich Froning, Tia, Claire Toomey, uh, you know, the, and Justin Medeiros now, like those people are definitely the fittest humans on the planet as far as their ability to, to do certain tasks or do a multitude of tasks, but, but we're still only testing them by exercise. Right. right? So it, it really comes down to the perspective that an individual wants to take whenever they they're working out. Like, are you doing it as a competition? Because that's what you need to stay engaged. And that's what you need to feel good about yourself. Or are you doing this to better your body? Um, and, and that's where your focus lies. Mm-hmm. So that, that to me is the main difference. And that's the difference that I take when I'm coaching, when I'm coaching an athlete who wants to compete in CrossFit, I look at what does this person need to get better at, or what do they need to do in order to beat the rest of the field? Now, when I'm coaching, you know, Doug, 43-year-old accountant, or, you know, Sarah, 29-year-old new mom, right? Like the way that I, I'm addressing their needs are is going to be different. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, the CrossFit Games, when did you compete? Did you compete as an individual or on a team? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, so I competed in 2009, 2011, 2013 in the individual open division, and then 2021 as a master's athlete at 35 years old. Um, all individual. I was on the demo team in 2015, um, but 
that's that's just that's not really competition um i've been to regionals uh, on a team level uh it's a little bit different or it was a few years ago it's probably more similar now um the team competition similar to the individual competition as of like what capacities are needed what type of fitness really but um it it's it's really cool to see the evolution of the sport uh over those years like what was cap- what what we were capable of 2009 it's like your average crossfitter is capable of now like you have some people like the 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 best person at the gym that I go to in Overland Park right here they would they would win outright the cross the 2009 crossfit games actually they might even win outright the 2011 2013 crossfit games um to see what athletes are capable of in that 10 to 14 year span uh what they've become capable of is mind-boggling to me mm-hmm. yeah um uh from your perspective uh whether it was while you were competing or just you were at the games and you were watching or maybe it was at regionals or something like that but who's kind of like the uh i come from a bodybuilding background so i might use kind of like a, a bodybuilding word here but who is kind of like the 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 freakiest athlete that you saw or Ooh. the best athlete, like just something of, of that nature. I don't really know how to word that in terms of like CrossFit, uh, but you, you get what I'm kind of saying. Absolutely. Um, there are different athletes who are freak athletes for different reasons because CrossFit is so there, there are so many different adaptations needed. Like if you were to talk to me, like I still remember back in the day, uh, Miko Salo, one of the first high volume, if not the first high volume athlete to come onto the scene. We, you, you know, like when he's walking around, um, like back in 2009, he came on, nobody knew who he was. He's walking around. You look at him, you're like, yeah, the guy looks, you know, fit. He's five, nine average build average proportions. If he's wearing a long sleeve t-shirt and it's not form fitting, you're just like, Oh, it looks like a normal dude. And then he goes out and he runs faster than everybody he comes back and he deadlifts 500 pounds. It's like, and, and, and he doesn't even look, like he's trying very hard and that uh, those are the freaks to me the freaks to me are the people that win without looking like they're trying very hard one of the reasons why rich to me was such an amazing athlete is like it was very few there were very few times in, in his career where you watch rich and he's like redlining like he's on his back completely gassed out like most of the time he's winning events and he's doing so at like a 90% effort and that was one of the most, and, and with like great technique and great form. And that was one of the most uh, amazing things about that. That's what I would consider a freak. But then you have people like Sam Briggs on the female side. She's a freak athlete. Like her muscle tonicity and her ability to just, like her engine is absurdly incredible. Um, Roman Krennikov, new new guy uh, within the past few years, the past five years, that guy very similar engine where it's like he his body just does things where you're like i you don't know how he does it how he pulls it off nobody looks like a freak athlete relatively because everybody is ripped there like in bodybuilding i feel like you're you look at an athlete and be like man that is a freakish physique right like how did you build that how did you like in crossfit body types are so different and so it's like you, there's no single person that looks looks freakish. It's what they can do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cool, cool. Okay, I want to transition into a little bit of business talk, if you don't mind here, Zach. So yeah. you mentioned uh, pretty early on within CrossFit, you uh, opened up a, a CrossFit box in, in Vegas, uh, I believe you said. And then why don't you talk a little bit about like the evolution of you as a as a businessman? Um, I, I, you know, I know I, I'm pretty sure you've owned several different boxes and things like that. So talk about business, uh, the business side of CrossFit for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've opened and owned five different locations uh, between 2009, 2019, I think it's when we closed and sold down and sold them and all of them off. Yeah. Um, and CrossFit as a business model comes down to, I think, a few things. One, um, making sure that you have a good location in the sense that uh, you're, you're convenient and, uh, the, like geographically you're convenient. Um, physically the facility is, is conducive to the training that you want to perform. And three, you're, you're not paying out the butt for absurd rent. Like if you can get those three things down, then, then you're in a good situation. Um, but aside from the, the facility, the next, I would say actually probably the most important thing is the people that you allow to be part of your staff, part of your team. You, if you can build good coaches, you can build a phenomenal community on those coaches. So for me, it's like an upside down pyramid. Everything starts with the owner and the culture that the owner allows to proliferate. And then the next level up would be your coaching staff. And then the above that is your, your clients and your community. Uh, and, and, it kind of has, you kind of have to build on those in, in that order. Like if there's something wrong with the culture that the owner is allowing to proliferate in your, in your, in your gym, everything else is going to be shot. Like you're never going to run really, really well. So coaches beget the, the good quality staff and, and trainers, which begets a good culture and community uh, client base. So I, I just learned that principle early on. And I just leaned really hard into it. I mean, like I'm going to make sure that I hold myself to a very high standard when it comes to training my staff. And then my staff is going to hold my clients to a very high standard and there's going to be a trickle down effect. So that's, that's the business model in a nutshell, but like, do you have any specific questions about running a gym? Well, uh, I, I want to, let's talk about the community aspect of, uh, sure. building a business and, then obviously specifically with, with CrossFit, I had uh, Brian uh, Shantosh on the podcast and that's something yep. that we talked about in terms of CrossFit. Cause from my outside perspective, I feel like the explosion of CrossFit was a lot of the community aspect of it. Right. Um, so the community aspect, building that within a business and that, that, that can be, you know, whatever type of gym, whatever type of business, right. That's, that's going to be important, but then also maybe expound a little bit on the the power of community within what we know now today as CrossFit. Right. So, and Tosh is a phenomenal human. I'm glad that you got a chance to, to talk with him and pick his brain. The, the community is built on suffering. It's built on shared suffering. And there is nowhere else uh, in this world right now that I am aware of personally, that you can get together with a group of other people other than, maybe like the military, to be honest, uh, where you can get to uh, uh, with another group or with a, more people in the same group in the same building and suffer together. And it's it's suffering that you are 
and suffering is a, a, a dramatic word. It's like you're working out, like you're not really suffering, obviously, but it, you guys choose to do it together and shared suffering creates bonds that you wouldn't create elsewhere. It's like going through a, a business project with a team of five or six or 10 other people that you guys are all struggling to keep up on. But then at the end of it, you guys come out victorious. It's like, of course, you're going to have a closer relationship um, with those people. Anytime that you go through trials and tribulations with a, a, with, with a set, group of people, um, you learn stuff about not only yourself, but them that allows you to, uh, be closer with them. And Greg, I think maybe he stole this from some Greg Glassman said a long time ago in CrossFit. One of the reasons why the business model works so well is because people will not quit relationships very easily. So if you build a tight knit community in your gym it makes it super hard for people to leave that because they're getting so much of what they need as a human from those relationships. One, they're coming to your gym. That's their form of physical exertion, physical exercise. Every human needs that, right? Um, hormonally releases endorphins and all these good chemicals. And we all know the physical and psychological benefits of, of hard work. What I think is discussed less often, but it's still understood is the, social benefit of hard work together in a group. And that's what really strengthens the relationships and people will not quit those relationships very easily. So CrossFit gyms as a, as a fitness industry business model has one of the highest retention rates, uh, across the board. And it's because of that. Yeah. Um, now, uh, in terms of going into like opening up your first box, right? And and all the years of business experience, what are some of the things that going in, you kind of like didn't realize about business or was like maybe a, a big learning curve for you in terms of, again, uh, owning operating businesses? Um, I didn't realize how much I would have to depend on my team if I wanted to be, if I wanted to do well. Um, I was one of those guys where I went in very lucky in the sense that my my parents had been entrepreneurs. Actually, a lot of my family are entrepreneurs and small business owners. So I had seen and learned a lot about small business from them, uh, but I had never put into practice myself. Uh, and so I just figured like I'd be able to do everything myself. And then I quickly realized that's going to lead to not only burnout and resentment, but it's going to blunt and it's going to make me plateau. Uh, the business, the business will not grow unless you delegate and you trust other people who are just as passionate about CrossFit as you are in this instance to, to be creative and, and, and show their passion to your customer, your client base. So I, one of the biggest things I had to overcome early on was learning to trust my team and learning when what it meant to be a good leader and a good boss. Mm. Yeah. And that meant trusting them and, and educating them, giving them the tools to succeed, but also giving them the opportunity to succeed. Mm. Yep. Okay. So I, I want to go with the, the leadership topic topic, because this was a huge part of the discussion with, with Brian, right? Yep. Um, I would probably consider him like a, a leadership expert, right? And he's very, absolutely. It, right. Yep, so absolutely. For you, Zach, uh, what is, I mean, cause the word leadership means a lot of different things to a lot of people. There's a lot of different people that have, uh, their perspective on leadership, but what is your perspective on leadership? What does that look like in action 
for you when you're training people, uh, when you are wanting to lead people yourself? Leadership to me is, is definitely multifaceted, but it essentially comes down to um, in the scope of business, I would say choosing the right people to be part of your culture. Um, and it's less of a choice and more of a, just a, uh, vetting process. Like if you won't have to choose them, if you go through enough people, because they'll, they'll just be, it'll be apparent that they're a good fit for the culture and the community uh, and the business. But once you have the, the people in front of you, being a good leader is about walking the walk, setting the example, but also creating opportunity. So your goal as a leader is to create as much opportunity for your subordinates. Let's say, I hate that word, but like um, your, your staff, your team to create as much opportunity for them to be successful and then to support them in their endeavors. Like that is a good leader. Uh, in, in my opinion, it's, it's, which is different than a manager. I think a manager is a different skill set, but leading is, uh, one by leading by example, walking the walk, but basically encouraging and supporting your people when they have the opportunity to be successful. Hmm. Yep. What, what type of uh, individual do you seek out or look for when you're trying to add to your community or add to a staff in terms of a business? Uh, when it comes to hard skills, I would say communication. People that can communicate effectively are always in high demand and they're always uh, a little bit more well-respected and because they're more well-understood. Um, but I would say integrity, people that they mean what they say and they do what they say. Um, I would also look for people that are empathetic or have a lot of world experience uh, that that I think comes a long way. And you don't want world experience. A lot of people will be like, oh, you don't want young people. Uh, I've met young people that have great perspective. They have a lot of empathy and they uh, have different types of world experience. Uh, and so I would say those are the things that I look for uh, typically. But if if the person is passionate enough about a given topic, like if I'm running a CrossFit gym and this person is literally like head over heels for CrossFit and they're absorbing everything that's put in front of them about the topic, that's a real good indicator that they're going to at least want to be successful in your in your business. That desire is something that uh, you, you want to cultivate and and direct, I guess. Yeah. Okay, we're going to start finishing up. Before we get kind of to the end, though, I want to ask you, you said that you you sold all of your businesses in terms of your gyms back in yep. 2019, which that that was probably a very, uh, very smart. Good timing, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Perfect yeah. timing. Uh, so why? First question. And then what have you been up to over the last several years? And then I'm curious why you guys decided to move from Vegas to, uh, I think you said Kansas. Correct. Yep. Yep. Good. Yeah. Kansas city Overland park. Yeah. Good question. So in 2019, one of our locations, um, the, the city government retroactively changed one of the zoning laws and long story short, we went through a lawsuit with the city and we ended up losing it. Uh, we ended up having to close down a location. And when we did that, it kind of created a domino effect for me personally, in the sense that we consolidated everything. And I was just like, you know what? This is not going the way that I wanted to. I'm working twice as many hours for the same amount of financial gain. And personally, I, I feel like I've hit a, a, a limiter with what I can do 
in my current situation, I think I need a big change. So I was like, you know what? We're going to close down. We're going to liquidate. We're going to sell this off. We're going to, we're going to sell that business for blah, 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 blah. I made all these decisions um, for each one of the locations individually. And uh, uh, yeah, it was great timing because COVID was six months down the road or whatever it was, eight months down the road. Um, but that was basically it. It was, I was a one man show um, at that point with multiple locations. The city tipped the first domino with closing that location and forcing me to liquidate all the assets. And uh, at that point, I was just like, you know what? Let's just go all the way in and get rid of everything. So then COVID hit. We we're all inside and I was like, dang, this sucks. <laughs> um, I, I had been considering opening up another gym, but in, I, I was on the fence still about it. So I was still working for CrossFit seminars. Um, and Dan, the CEO of push press reached out to me and picked me up to do some, uh, some internal development and some, uh, mentor help with push press clients, which is gym management software. And that was later in 2019. I think it was like June or July or August, one of those months where I actually became an official employee and I've been with push press since then. Phenomenal company, great team, great product, great, uh, great culture. Everything about them is phenomenal. Uh, I'm not a software or a tech guy, but I've learned a few things. But now I'm in charge of uh, partnerships with Push Press, and uh, I do that along with um, seminars on the weekends. And we just launched a uh, custom gym programming company called PhysEd. So yeah, a lot of gyms subscribe to like Mayhem or NC Fit or CrossFit affiliate programming, and they get this cookie cutter programming that they then have to modify for their facility or for their equipment and their members. And I went the opposite way. I said, Hey, let's do one-on-one like individual custom gym programming. So when a gym signs up, they basically get what is custom to their facility and their equipment needs and their, and their community, their goals. Um, and so that's kind of what I've been doing since closing of the gyms. Uh, and Kansas was just, I think we were out here for a, uh, a friend's wedding and we, we were just sick of Vegas. Like I've been there since 2009 or whatever. And Caitlin, my wife is born and raised there. And, uh, we just needed an excuse to get out of the desert heat. So Kansas, beautiful. We moved here, uh, late winter of this past year and spring has been phenomenal. I learned something called, uh, learned about something called allergies, um, yeah, they've been destructive to my lifestyle, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I, uh, there was no real big single reason why we moved out here. Yeah. Okay. Now I, I just got to forewarn you cause I'm, I'm from Iowa and that's where I'm at currently. Uh, I will, we'll have to, I'll have to ask you when you make it through June, July and August in Kansas and the humidity, cause that's going to be a big big change everybody's uh, talking about that oh yeah it's it's gonna be a lot different than vegas because like when i lived out in colorado uh you know it's it's a different heat you're at high you're at a higher elevation obviously but yep. it's just it's straight heat it's like almost like desert heat similar to right uh nevada and vegas but then like when you get to the midwest the summer it's 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 a completely different heat because you have that humidity. So you'll, but you know what, you, you're, you know, Florida. So I've heard yeah. Florida is very humid. So you might understand that from the Florida aspect of things, but it'll probably be a I little I just keep thinking, adjustment. how bad could it be? How bad could it be? Uh, right. And yeah, then I say well, that. I'll, I'll reach out and to then you August. September and see, <laughs> see how that humidity is treated, you know, but. Uh, yep, exactly. Yeah, that's, no, that's what I'm that's afraid cool, of. Zach. Um, 
Okay, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. So uh, I want to ask you a couple final questions now. Uh, in terms of, we we've kind of talked about what you've learned within the the business aspect of things, but kind of getting back into like the personal side of things. Uh, you know, you you said like being in in the military and the SEALs was kind of like this 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 pivot point for you or a pivotal uh, point in your life. After you got out of the military, can you look back, or maybe it's it's right now? But is there has there been another kind of like shifting point or pivotal point in your life post military? If so, can you touch on that? Um, yeah, you want to get personal, definitely. So I would say these are probably some major things that have shaped me. The, the military definitely a pivotal point in in me becoming an adult and learning self responsibility and you know that mantra of don't be a victim, right? Same same thing as a business owner, although I got more uh, perspective on uh, the financial aspect of the world and how money works in the world and how money can motivate or incentivize certain behaviors. Um, I think I learned more about, yeah, how, how money shapes our world as a business owner. And um, personally, I when I went through a divorce, so Caitlin is my second wife. Um, and going through a divorce in 2015 was probably the third biggest thing uh, in my life that shaped me as a as a as an adult. It taught me humility. It taught me um, that I need to be a, more aware of myself as a as as I interact with other people. It taught me a lot about my own shortcomings and how to be a better person. Yeah, uh, it taught me uh, a lot of a lot of things about myself and other people that I otherwise would not have learned. And I think those three things are probably the biggest um, things in my life that, that shaped me. And then the fourth would have been my, my marriage to Caitlin is what probably saved me from having a a completely jaded view on the world (laughs) as a result of, of the nasty things that happened before. So, I mean, yeah, going through those those things. Now that I think about it, it sounds like a lot. Man, being a Navy SEAL, owning businesses, and then going through a divorce like that's a lot of stuff in in like a a, a decade that'll that'll definitely shape a human or two, right? Like, right, right. <laughs> holy cow! Um, but yeah, I would say those are the those are the events. Yep. Okay. Now, now the, the the going through the divorce for you personally, Zach, was that has was that like the hardest thing that you've ever had to go through as a, as a as an adult as a man like just like the emotions of it and maybe thinking there was some sort of failure maybe on your end or whatever you had to go through was was that the hardest thing or not yeah definitely emotionally uh the hardest thing i've ever had to go through yeah but it was but everything is relative it's like if you would ask me when i finished buds was this the hardest thing you've ever done i would have been like yes but now if you ask me as a 37 year old is it the hardest thing you've ever done no it's not emotionally getting divorced was the hardest thing at that point i'd ever had to go through but now being 37 very happily married and and i can't imagine what my life would be like if i hadn't gone through it like I am so thankful and so grateful for the lessons that I learned and for the the experience and for where I am now that it 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 
it feels weird to say that it was the worst or that it was the hardest thing that I've ever gone through. I guess, I guess when someone says, oh, it's the hardest thing that I've ever gone through, you automatically want to think like, oh, they regret it. But I don't. I don't regret it at all. I'm, I'm extremely thankful. I'm extremely grateful for it. Um, but yeah, emotionally, it was definitely the hardest thing I've ever gone through. Hmm. Okay, last question for you, and then I'm going to kind of give you uh, the the final uh, words and and uh, kind of share where you like us to connect with you, things like that. So, kind of the tagline Zach of the podcast is conversations with those in pursuit of more. So, I just want to ask you, kind of in closing, uh, what are you uh, currently pursuing or in pursuit of? Um, so, personally, I'm currently pursuing. Um, uh, uh, how to set up my family for uh, the best possible future. Uh, I'm learning more about me. We don't have any kids, but Caitlin and I are discussing it and we are um, just talking about how to plan for that. And we're aligning our values um, a little bit more so uh, or discussing our values when it comes to raising kids. So that's personally, I'm giving a lot of attention to that, setting ourselves up financially um, and uh, for, for, for success in the future. Um, starting this business. Those are the things that I'm currently working on. Health-wise, I'm, I'm trying to stay away from competitive CrossFit just because I think the, the most benefit from CrossFit comes from not competing. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, I'm not saying that's as a rule for everybody, but for me personally. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to learn more about, um, about the way, this sounds weird, but the way politics shapes our world. I'm becoming more and more interested in uh, in how money and, and politics influence the, the 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 current state of affairs and the future where we're going to go as a as a society and as the human race. So I've, I've and that's been going on for about a year, um, but that's that's where I'm at. It just seems seems natural. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the 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 politics and money uh, uh, topic that you just mentioned there. That's got to be a, a fascinating exploration, huh? It's fascinating, but it's it's dull at the same time because it's like, man, I can't believe we focus on this stuff. But then when you start to understand it, you're like, this is why we focus on it is because socially, um, at, at its at its core, humans uh, they they kind of depend on these things. We have digressed so far away from animalistic behavior that we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves without things like politics or money. It, it's almost um, becoming part of the the human DNA mm-hmm. as it's it's just woven into our society. Um, so it fascinates me in that sense because the human as an organism as an as an animal does not need money, does not need politics. It's probably hinders our ability to be a good organism and a good animal. But at this point, you can't separate it, and that's what fascinates me. Yeah, cool, man. Okay, uh, Zach, uh, first of all, uh, I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast, man, and chopping up with myself and sharing your story. Uh, before Absolutely. I get a really, really quick outro here and, and we get you out of here for the day, um, if somebody wants to connect with you, if somebody wants to reach out to you, if somebody wants to, uh, you know, partake in anything that you're offering in terms of, you know, uh, the training and all that stuff, where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? Uh, any shout outs you have? Any final thoughts? Any final words? platform is yours, man. Oh, I mean, I don't have too many. I don't have any shout outs. Hi, mom and dad. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, 
but if anybody wants to connect with me, Instagram is usually the best place to do it. Zach underscore underscore AF dot goes my initials. Although people is like, they, they don't get it, but Zachary Alexander Forrest. Yeah. That's my initials. Um, that's best place to reach out to me. If you, if you are interested in any type of custom gym programming, hit up my company phys ed. The link is on my Instagram and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, any, if you want to shoot the shit about CrossFit or, or anything that we talked about here, hit me up. Cool. Totally down. Cool. Awesome. All right, Zach, I'm going to do a really quick outro and then I'll let you go. Okay. Sounds good. Cool. Uh, all of you who are listening to another episode of Curious and Candid, uh, I just want to say thank you so very much. Uh, I would love to connect with all of you. Uh, a couple places that you can uh, connect with me and reach out to me, uh, Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast, and then also uh, the email is another great way uh, to connect with me. Uh, if you think you would be a great guest for the podcast, or maybe you have somebody that uh, you would like to recommend, just go ahead, reach out to me through email, and that is curiousandcandid at gmail.com. And then finally, before I let everybody go, uh, if you guys are interested in holistic training, nutrition, uh, coaching, uh, uh, my new website is now live uh, just yesterday. Super excited about this uh, because I really want to kind of take the training, the nutrition, and the coaching uh, and, and, and people's health to, to another level. Again, uh, approaching it in a holistic manner. So uh, you can find out more about all of that at awakentrainingandnutrition.com. Uh, you can touch base with me uh, through the email on that website as well. So appreciate all of you. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you guys next time.